Well, the year is finally coming to a close and much like 2020, I uh, can't wait for this one to be over. Mm-hmm. So in light of that, we have been taking a look at some of the most notable events and controversies that have happened over the past year and wanted to inject some of our insight into some of the weirder things that have happened, some of the more important things that have happened, and then maybe also look towards next year, which will hopefully be a much different, much better year. Mm, Hopefully. And I I know that you and I both have some predictions, some hot takes, if you will, for what we think might happen in 2022. Yeah. And perhaps if we're, I don't know, in a betting mood, we can see who, who wins the predictions for next year. (laughs) Um, Yeah. We'll have to, uh, a year from now, we'll see if our listeners will keep us accountable. Yeah. So um, subscribe and stay subscribed at least for the next 12 months. (laughs) For no other reason is to hear who, who, who wins, who, who wins the predictions. Exactly. So with that, welcome to this episode of Indubitably. I'm Kelly. I'm Josh. And why don't you uh, tell us, Kelly, exactly what it is that we're going to be doing today? We are going to look at our top debates of 2021. So we made two. We made lists separately. Yes. You made your top five controversies slash debates of 2021. I made my top five. Uh, we don't know what each other's list is. So we'll be revealing that today. And we also did not share the criteria we utilized when we were developing our top list and why we put the things that we put at the top there. Mm -hmm. All I know is my criteria is correct. Okay, we'll we'll see. (laughs) All right, so that's the first part of the episode. We'll kind of compare lists for the the most influential slash important uh, slash top debates of the year. And then on the other side of the coin, we'll next look at some of the funniest slash most insipid slash least important debates that have happened during 2021. Oh, insipid. I like that word. I have a very good vocabulary. Indubitably. (laughs) And um, last of all, we'll finish up with uh, some of those predictions looking ahead into 2022. Put put ourselves on the spot, see what our powers of prediction look like. I think we're going to be very correct. (laughs) On all the things. Yep. Um, All right. Well, why don't we start with the important list, the most influential controversies or debates of the year? Kelly, let's have, why don't we go through and, and just sort of list our top five first, and then we can go through and explore and critique how we feel about ours and each other lists. Right. Um, we want to start with my list. Let's do it. Okay. I I actually ranked mine, but I don't actually feel especially tied to the rankings. I just know that these are the five debates, five controversies that caught my attention the most over the last year. And I feel like have the most bearing on the way that my life is led, which Mm. made for kind of the biggest um, factor in whether or not I consider them to be important. With that, the, the controversies that I selected for this year are the the infrastructure bill or the infrastructure bills, um, the overall legislation that we've been seeing from the Biden administration, 
some of the other discussions, <laughs> um, gun control, which uh, is an enduring debate, which happens mm-hmm. every year, but I think especially mm-hmm. this year, we need to talk about it some more. Uh, climate change has been a very big topic in that there was a major international conference, COP26, which I think was an important meeting of the minds over this issue, which was actually largely ignored by a lot of people. Next, mandatory vaccinations, which we actually did an episode on, I think is still an incredibly important debate. And some other factors about the kind of healthcare we give to people who don't have vaccinations has also been circling around, around that topic. And then my top debate of the year, and whether or not I'm ranking the list, I think this is my top debate, is abortion access. And I have a lot I could say about that, but I'm going to try to hold back. Mm, Yeah, the Texas ruling, I know, kind of brought this back into the forefront. Okay, so we we definitely have different lists here for the most part. Um, I didn't include mandatory vaccinations in my top five. I'm going to keep mine a mystery for now. So I can talk about yours without you being able to get back at me. Um, okay. But the, the only reason I didn't include mandatory vaccinations, I, I, I think that it actually would be number one, but I didn't include it because we did do an entire episode on it. In fact, that was our very first episode. So I definitely agree that mandatory vaccinations is important, but I just wanted to cheat and refer our listeners back to that entire episode if they want to hear more about that debate in order to free my list of five up for, for other space instead. So we said everything that needs to be said on that topic. We resolved it. (laughs) The one part about COVID that I do think is interesting that we didn't really discuss in that episode that I think would also qualify potentially as a top controversy is the rhetoric and speculation around where did it originate from, which I know is not a 2021 controversy that happened when COVID began in 2020. But I think questions about, was it intentional? Was it a laboratory in China? And the reason I would, I would still say that that's pertinent in 2021 was recently with the Omicron variant, there were some speculation, at least initially, that it had originated in South Africa. Mm-hmm. And there's as a result of that, we had travel bans, et cetera, like targeted towards South Africa. And, you know, there's just some troubling implications for, oh, look at this particular country that falls into this particular category. Of course, that's going to be where a disease comes from. Let's shut them off from the world. And and I think the reason that that's controversial for me is because there's so many, it's sort of indicative of certain preconceptions that are already held by people. And we see those broken when we realize that this Omicron variant did not originate in South Africa, but South African researchers were actually just the first people who were able to identify it. So actually, rather than what some people wanted to jump to originally as that being the origination of a new variant that's going to infect the world, actually, they gave us a head start on being able to deal with it. Um, And so it was just, I think that some people should be feeling pretty bad about, oh my God, we need to immediately enact travel bans and restrictions against this country that has spawned a new variant that's going to kill us all. I'm not sure if people who are that knee-jerk xenophobic are ever going to feel bad about proposing those things. But yeah, ultimately, finding out that a strain exists in a place is not the same as a strain originating from that place. And people are really vastly misunderstanding the science of this entire pandemic. Mm -hmm. And I I guess the the reason I say that that's an interesting sub-conversation of the overall 
COVID vaccination debate is, is it just sort of brings to the forefront certain stereotypes or preconceptions that, that we might already hold as cultures and, and countries, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Those are all important aspects of the discussion about mandatory vaccinations and the COVID-19 pandemic as a whole. But I think one of the more interesting sub-controversies of the entire vaccination debate is how so many people are coming forward with the thought that, well, if all of these people who could get a vaccine aren't getting a vaccine, that they should be ineligible for healthcare because they put themselves into those compromised positions, which I understand the sentiment behind that, but there are actually people positing that that should be legislation and trying Mm. to make that law in some places. And uh, I think that that might not to get a head start on predictions, but I think that might be an enduring debate that happens over um, at the end of the month. We might see people continue to talk about it next year. Yeah, that's actually, I I do have one of my predictions is COVID based. So we'll get to that. So I definitely agree with uh, the mandatory vaccinations being one of the top debates of the year on your list. Uh, The only reason I kept it off of my list is because I wanted to cheat and be able to add (laughs) something new. Um, The other, okay. So agreeing with that one, I have a problem with two of them on your list though. Okay. I do have a problem with the gun control and the climate change ones, because I feel like these are just sort of annual debates that happen every year. So on my list, I was looking for things that were specific to 2021, unique to 2021. So do you think there's something in 2021 that happened that, that made the gun control debate or made the climate change debate more pertinent, more relevant? Well, for both of those issues, it's just incredibly overdue that either of them have an actual resolution. The fact is these are going to probably be issues in perpetuity because there is no meaningful way that we're going to get change in a capitalist society when you've got the gun lobby and you've got big business that really, really likes polluting the atmosphere. Mm. So I think that I am identifying those two as major debates in the sense that they did not get the attention I think they deserved because they just, another mass shooting happens. Everyone gets outraged for a week, thoughts and prayers. And then it's the cycle starts again. I guess I'm not, I'm not denying that these are important topics, gun control and climate change, but I, I I don't think that they escalated from 2020. I don't think there's going to be a resolution in 2022. So I'm not sure. I think at this point, we're just like, if you're living in America, this is just something you're going to deal with in perpetuity, which is, which is horrible. Yeah. (laughs) I'm not saying it's great, but I'm just, I don't know. I, so I, d- I definitely don't have these two on the list. Infrastructure bill is interesting. Do you think it's that impactful compared to all the controversies that happened in the year? I think it's notable in how impactful it could have been. Um, and all of the things that could have been if people in the legislature did not take what was a really good idea and make it into some watered down toothless version of the original proposed legislation. Do you really expect more from Biden though? No, what I would really like, what I would really like is him to just go nuts with executive orders. Like, I think that it's very reasonable to assume that he may be a one-term president and he's getting, you know, a little up there. So I would just burn that bridge and just be like, fuck it. We're wiping out student debt. We're doing this. We're doing that. Sign, sign, sign. Nobody can do anything about this. Blah, blah, blah. Done. But I mean, I think that we kind of knew he's not that person when he when he got 
hell for the past 50 years he's he's not been that person yeah i don't i don't know though but so if your comment on the infrastructure bill is that it is not what it could have been does it still qualify as one of the top 5 controversies i think that we're seeing a failure of promises being kept and i know that that's every administration but i mm. think that the scale on which biden is failing his constituents we were so sold on the idea of we just need to get Trump out of office and things will get better. Mm-hmm. And maybe the infrastructure bill in and of itself is not the biggest controversy, but the fact that this administration seems to like really suck is, <laughs> is the controversy. Like we still have children in cages. Mm-hmm. We had to basically cyber bully the administration to um, extend the student loan repayment moratorium, things like that. It's just ridiculous. This is supposed to be a more responsive administration to the wants and needs of the the population. And it just isn't. I could see the infrastructure bill as sort of a microcosm of a, of a larger debate on where along the political spectrum, democratic leadership should lie from moderate to more liberal. I could see that definitely being a, a big sort of defining political debate of 2021. How extreme after winning the election or in order to win future elections should liberals go? Because Republicans, conservatives went pretty far right in order to win the last time around and it worked for them. And then this is sort of the pendulum swinging the other direction, but we just stopped it at moderate instead of letting the momentum carry on. Not that I wish death upon anyone, but there's an aging population in the Democratic Party that eventually won't be voting anymore. And the more <laughs> radical, you know, socialist leaning Kellys of the world will finally get to have a little more influence over how these elections turn out. So, so that's four of your list that mm. I'm, eh, it's fine. It's your list. Number one, though, I'm on board the abortion, mm-hmm. the abortion thing, bringing that back as a controversy this year, real big with the Texas legislation. And then the, even more recently, the Supreme Court ruling on it. This is going to be big, not just 2021, but it's setting a foundation for for next year as well. Yeah, there's so much that's happening right now that is making it very clear that Roe v. Wade is hanging by a thread Mm -hmm. in terms of being, as Susan Collins would like to say, it's settled law. It's settled law. Well, obviously, it's debatable still because we're continuing to see these court cases come up and the Supreme Court is not determining it as settled law. It's saying, oh yeah, the state, you know, it's the state's decision. Take it back to the state. And it's like the state is making everybody's lives horrible and enacting not only a, a, a misogynistic bill, but a vigilante based one as well in the, in the instance of Texas. I mean, my rage and frustration at what's been happening with these laws is uh, I don't know. I might combust at some point. <laughs> you know, besides just abortion itself being such a big controversy, that's one of the reasons I would definitely rank this up towards the top, even though it, it wasn't on my list. But I definitely agree with this one uh, because there's also threads of federal rights versus states' rights running through this issue which I think is a debate that's about to come back in a big way or, or maybe look to be redefined in a big way. And also just issues of the Supreme Court. I think that this would be a catalyst or, or a motivation for a lot of potential debates that we haven't seen really happen seriously yet, but could definitely become serious. Things like court packing, for example. I could totally see this as being a big enough issue to 
serve as a catalyst for discussions like that to, to finally happen in a really tangible sort of way. Yeah, I think there's a lot that we can interrogate about the way that the Supreme Court is structured, the way that it actually is composed like it is. I think there are a lot of people who are rightly angry at um, Ruth Bader Ginsburg for not retiring when Obama was president. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I just have a I have a sense of futility washing over me about this right now, because in between like the peaks of anger, I just don't see any way this is going to, I don't know, make my life better in the long run. So Mm -hmm. this is this is my my most important, impactful debate of the year. All right. So I like two of your lists. Okay. not sure about three, but I'll give you a chance here to to return the criticism. Here's my list of the top five. Um, Again, keeping mandatory vaccinations off just because we did the episode on it already. So I'm going to start off and mine are actually ordered. Um, So my number five is, and I'm going to, before I give the list, just building suspense here, building suspense. Before I give the list, I'm going to, I'm going to preface this by saying one of the things I took into consideration on three of these issues out of the five is I think that there are things that people just, more people need to know about. So I'm going to use my soapbox here as my year-end most important controversies to force people to hear about things that they might not have heard about yet, but that I also legitimately think are some of the biggest uh, controversies of the year. So number five, uh, Peng Shui is a professional Chinese tennis player. And recently she came forward uh, for a very short amount of time on her social media before it was deleted with allegations of sexual assault against a retired communist party leader. And after those uh, posts were put up, she disappeared and nobody could figure out where she went. And so the WTA, which is the women's tennis association alongside eventually the IOC, the international Olympic committee, started putting some really serious pressure on China saying, what the heck, where did this lady go? And um, initially, the Chinese government tried to put out a letter that was quote unquote from Peng Shui, um, questionable. And then after more time and more just demands by these international sporting organizations, they finally provided a video call uh, between Peng Shui and some of the organizers of these administrations, uh, which we are still not sure is proof that she is well and not being coerced to say certain things. Um, And as a result of this whole situation, the reason I think it's a controversy and the reason I'm bringing it up is the WTA has actually pulled out all tennis tournaments from the country of China. Mm. And I think that this, alongside of questions from the IOC threatening to potentially do the same with the Winter Olympics, alongside of kind of a separate issue, the U.S. um, diplomatically boycotting the Winter Olympics because of the treatment of the Uyghurs, I think all sort of represents a shift in how the world is dealing with China and just not letting them do whatever they want anymore for fear of retaliation, but potentially taking a stand. And I think that that could be a huge shift in geopolitical sportsmanship, if you will. And so I think that that's my number five. All right. Number four, Myanmar earlier in the year had a military junta, 
military took over from the democratically elected leadership with Aung San Suu Kyi. And then just recently, she was thrown in jail for um, <laughs> a rather strange concoction of charges, uh, one being incitement and the second half of it being breaking COVID protocol, <laughs> which seems like, uh, let's just add the second one on there to make people not like her so they're, they're not as critical of our decision to jail her. So controversy number four, military junta takes over Myanmar and jails democratic leadership. Number three, this one is one that I'm sure everybody already knows. I have the Capitol riots. Number two, this is one that people probably don't know again that I think is important. There is currently a civil war going on in the country of Ethiopia between the federal government and the region of Tigray. Uh, it's a politically driven conflict. And I think that just in general, we ignore this portion of the world, despite it perhaps needing the most attention that we could be offering. And so Ethiopia being the second most populous nation on the continent, this civil war has led to thousands of refugees fleeing, um, millions of people needing food aid, et cetera. So really big deal um, affecting millions of people. And I don't think most people know about it. So that's my number two. And number one, coming back to our boy, Joe Biden, the Afghanistan pullout and uh, the uh, shenanigans that have ensued since then with the Taliban managing to retake the country. Um, that is my biggest controversy of the year. Okay. So it's my turn to yeah, let's hear it. give you, <laughs> give you hell for your list, right? Mm -hmm, yep. Um, well, I think it's a little rich that you came after me for gun control and the climate change issue as just being issues that we need to bring more attention to when literally three of your topics were ones that you just wanted to bring more attention to. Okay. But I also think that they are significant and timely to this year. I do think that they are important. And I do think that uh, they three those three topics have something in common, which is uh, the oppression of you know, powerful people oppressing less powerful people. Mm. So yeah, obviously incredibly important. I think that's an issue that endures across all regions, across all political structures. So I, I'm not going to say that, oh, I don't think it's important that China is like committing <laughs> a genocide. Obviously that's important. I also think on the, on the China one with Peng Shui in particular, I think that it's a really interesting manifestation of the Me Too movement, which obviously had much stronger roots in the countries like the US and how it's starting to show up in countries where typically movements like that are put down. And I, I think that maybe the Chinese government's reaction to somebody trying to me too, one of their former party members was, okay, we can just sweep this under the rug, which has definitely worked in the past. And that's why I think this makes the list is because it might mark a shift in them having to face repercussions for actions. I do think that the fact that she's an athlete and the Olympics are coming up, do make this a unique time and a unique um, amount of pressure that countries like the United States can apply on these situations. Mm -hmm. I think the overall issue of uh, politics intersecting with sport is really interesting. And we should probably mm -hmm. do an episode about it at some point. Yeah, for sure. And the Olympics are interesting because they're amateur, but also I just want to say like kudos to the WTA for having the guts to to literally lose millions of dollars and piss off 
one of the largest markets on the planet and just say, hey, you know, we value the safety of our players highly enough that we're willing to to take this risk and and take this sacrifice to do what we think is right. So good job, WTA. So let's get into one of your other topics because the Capitol riots one. Mm-hmm. You can't tell me this is not a top five. I don't know what the debate is. Like, I get that this was a major event and a mm-hmm. very upsetting one, but let's dive into this about what makes it actually controversial because it seems pretty cut and dry to me. Okay. I don't. Uh, okay. Let's hear your why it's cut and dry first. Uh, it was domestic terrorism. Okay. He's closed. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that's what, that's what I thought people would say. Um, here's my <laughs> thing is if you are going to renounce the tactics that a group of people took on one side of the political spectrum, then you sort of have to take those same tactics off the table for your side of the political spectrum. So is it the location, like that it was the Capitol building that disqualifies the capacity to riot in the left's opinion? Because the left has used riots as a tool to fight back against oppressive governmental systems, not just through 2021, but you know it's been building up more and more now. So I guess the reason I think it's a controversy is, is it fair to question the motivation of a particular group of people when you agree with the methods, right? If you mm. question their motivation, then, then are you allowed to show up and do the same thing just because you have a different motivation? So the left has done... Similar things, but I Mm -hmm. think that what differentiates it is the left was doing it on places like police stations, um, Mm -hmm. where I feel like there was kind of a an imbalance of power that skewed towards the the police. Right, like we don't have the same sort of military equipment that most suburban police departments have when we're trying to like protest on behalf of marginalized populations. The difference being. At the Capitol, there were Capitol police and and what have you, but most legislators, they're just like wearing power suits. They're not like picking a fight in the community the way that like police in Seattle were. But let's say if Trump had somehow manipulated the election results, let's say similar to Bush, perhaps, when the Supreme Court reversed, arguably, the, the results. And let's say Democrats felt like Trump had stolen the election what would you do about it? Nothing? Just accept it? Or do you think similar actions, storming the Capitol, storming the White House, do you think something similar would have to happen? I I think the most likely behavior would be legal challenges, honestly, going through the courts. That's just because the right has guns and the left has education. You use what what you've got. But no, but the the left does engage in more direct like protest and, you know, damage property. Property doesn't have rights. People have rights and, you know, storm, storm precincts and take over parts of um, the city of Portland takes over parts of Seattle, takes over parts of other, other major cities where um, these things have happened. But I think that at the scale of it being a national election, I don't see the groups that I've actually seen on the ground, I don't see them coalescing enough to become like a national wave of people who fly to DC and storm a building. I just don't see that as being 
a likely outcome. I think people are more, more like acting locally, thinking globally when it comes to the left, when it comes to property destruction. <laughs> All I'm hearing here is that the left is not as committed as the right. Because think if, if, if Trump had stayed in office, he has legislative control, right? That was actually one of the ways in which the, you know, his administration had planned to fight the election was to not certify results from various states. Mm-hmm. He's been able to appoint a significant number of judges. So let's say somehow he's able to change the election results. He controls the executive office. They have legislative control and then they have judicial control. There is no way to, to do this, quote unquote, the right way. It's either you, you violently protest or you just sit and take it. So, and I'll critique the left a little bit here for being ineffective on a larger scale. Like we are very good at small things. We are very mm-hmm. good at like community aid and we are very good at doing what we did in Seattle and Portland. But when it comes to the fact that if he had stolen the election, we would probably feel very similar to how we felt when he got elected in the first place, which means we would all probably knit little pink hats and march in the streets again. <laughs> like that's probably the, what would happen. But the difference is, is nobody questioned the authenticity or no, nobody questioned the credibility of him getting elected the first time. Everybody was like, this sucks. Not everybody, everybody on the left was like, this sucks, but it happened. Right. So I think the, that there's plenty of people who question the legitimacy of it because of the way that voting rights have been restricted in places where he won that he probably wouldn't have if people were not enforcing like racist uh, policies about voters. Sure. But those things are all legal, whether they're right or wrong is a different issue, but they're all legal. And the claim of the people who stormed the Capitol building were that illegal actions were taken. And so the only way to overturn those illegal actions and this vote tampering is you know a riot and a, a storming of the building. My my point here is not necessarily to have the debate of whether or not the rioters were right or wrong. My point is that I think that this is controversial and it makes my list because it it forces us to ask the question of what methods or what extremes should we as people be able to go to if we think the system is failing us. Hmm. And, and like this one seems bad, like on face value, but if the tables were turned, I wonder if people would still think, as you said earlier, like, well, of course, this is a horrible thing that shouldn't be done. I think, and I believe that we're at a reverse situation that wouldn't happen. Mm. But I also think that there are probably a lot of leftists who don't like me speaking for them and are going to maybe start engaging with our Twitter and Facebook and uh, just, yell, <laughs> just yell at me. So that's fine. And where, where are our Twitter and Facebooks where they could yell at you and tell you that my list is better than yours? Oh, I don't think that's what they're going to say. I think they're just going to say that I'm wrong. But we're both, uh, <laughs> we can be founded indubitably pod on both of those platforms. Um, all right. Well, yeah, let us know uh, to, to take a brief. Um, interlude here. (laughs) Let us know if you agree with Kelly's list or my list, or even better, if you have a list of your own, uh, you can leave that in the comments on either of those platforms and yell at us or each other. All right. So I've got my capital riots here. um, Ethiopian civil war in Afghanistan. I can't see you complaining about the Afghanistan one. 
I don't, again, I don't really know what the debate is on that one either. It's, it was obviously a horrible idea, but it's not like we can go back and undo it. Well, shit, I mean, some of these debates are, should it have been done or, or should it have not been done? And I think this one's interesting to me because the democratic platform was always let's get out of Afghanistan. But at the same time, the democratic side was the side that was uh, at least in principle, more empathetic to the people of Afghanistan. And mm-hmm. I think by achieving one of their platforms, they've failed at the other. By finally getting out, which I think Biden probably saw as a really easy political win, like, hey, I'm out of Afghanistan. I'm the one that finally ended this. He completely failed in the other platform, which was like, let's protect this group of people that had been subjected to theocratic rule. The women of the country are oppressed uh, to, to degrees that we rarely see anywhere else on the planet. He, he failed at all of that in an attempt, I think, to make easy political points. I mean, I, I agree that the way that it was executed was bad. <laughs> I mean, just simply put, it's been pretty evident in the aftermath that the U.S. presence was basically the finger in the dam. And as soon as it was removed, then came the flood. So I don't know what could have been done other than to just stay in perpetuity, because I don't think we are going to allocate a lot of time and energy and resources towards making Afghanistan a more sustainable place without the U.S. there. You know, we're we're not the only country in the world that has troops that could help. No, I know it's an it's a NATO. It's a very big <laughs> NATO presence there. I know that. And I well, and and that that is sort of is I think why it's a big issue for me is you know potentially this is a shift away from the U.S. being world police. You know, maybe Europe uh, needs to step in and take some more responsibility of the things that are happening in their backyard-ish. I think it's a little unfair to call Afghanistan Europe's backyard. <laughs> I said ish. Ish. It's closer than the U.S. Yeah, And I Russia's guess. not going to do, well, maybe Russia is going to do something about it. I mean, because arguably, arguably Afghanistan wasn't even, you know, we're not even there for the Afghani people. Arguably, we're just there as, as a proxy power play against Russia. Well, I mean, if we want to look back at like the Cold War, clearly we have a lot of opinions about some of the things that really actually impact a lot of people's lives and definitely deserve a lot of attention, whether or not we agree on which ones deserve the most attention. Mm -hmm. These are all really important issues. But I think um, to kind of break the seriousness up a little bit, let's kind of delve into some of the stuff that probably doesn't warrant any attention, but let's talk about it anyway. <laughs> yeah. The fun, uh, the fun debates of 2021, I think hopefully our listeners by now have figured out on this channel, uh, of course, most debates are going to be serious. Most debates are affect people's lives, but it's also fun to talk about stuff like zombies and, and the matrix, which if you haven't listened to last week's episode on the matrix, red pill, blue pill, after this episode is over, good time to do that. Great. Where do we want to start with this? How about we go kind of back and forth? Do you want to do you want to throw out one of your top less serious controversies of 2021? Yeah, this has been a difficult thing for me to whittle down because I think that where you find the stupid debate makes for whether or not they're even approachable as stupid debates. Mm. So most everything that I've encountered that I consider to be like ridiculous, I found on Twitter, (laughs) (laughs) which should not surprise anyone because that's where I essentially live. It only recently came to a conclusion, but there has been a very long strike at Kellogg 
uh, the Kellogg Corporation because of the uh, the treatment of the workers, which is typically the reason for a boycott or mm-hmm. a strike of the workers. And then the resulting boycott that was asked of people like you and me to forego our Pop-Tarts for a little bit so that we could support the workers. But the, the request that people boycott Kellogg's in support of the striking workers came with an iconic tweet that I'll just read verbatim. Hi, someone with heavy food sensory issues here. Frosted mini wheats are one of the only things I can actually consume regularly and not get sick from. Guilting people who can't support boycotts is ableist as fuck, but y'all aren't ready for that conversation. Hold on. Okay. (laughs) A lot to unpack there. What is nutritionally unique about frosted mini wheats? So this developed into another discussion about whether generic frosted mini wheats that were not produced by Kellogg's would be an adequate substitute for the ones produced by Kellogg's for someone with food sensory issues. And there are a few different um, neurodivergent issues where food sensitivities and texture are issues that mean that some people only have like certain safe foods and other foods they won't go near. But essentially by asking people who have those sensory issues to engage in a boycott, we're committing ableism. Mm. Whereas I think that most people are like, Hey, boycott, if you can, if it's like not going to like dramatically adversely affect your life. But, um, obviously like if you need to eat that food, eat that food. (laughs) So that was, that was the debate. (laughs) Mm. Yeah. I mean, I'm still caught up on the frosted. So what, what does this person's diet look like i don't know they ever uh let us know i think that this is so one we don't even actually know if this is a legitimate tweet or if it was said in jest because a lot of people like to is this a pretend to be a boomer sort of thing kind of it's like it's like overly woke sensitive leftist things and a lot of copycat tweets came out as a result of it so finding the original was actually pretty difficult Mm. the original user has like since locked their account which makes me think that this was actually a real tweet because they're probably like i don't want to be talked to about this anymore but i think that there is the debate emerging on if you are woke Mm. are you can you do one woke thing without adversely affecting another woke thing because it's like i want to support labor rights but i don't want to be ableist (laughs) it's Mm -hmm. like which which of these two things do i care more about and it's um it's getting too far afield of what the actual controversy is which is labor rights Mm -hmm. um which i think we can have that discussion and support boycotting people and not also hurt other people who need to eat their frosted mini weeds. Yeah. I think that as a, as a larger issue, intersectionality has become sort of a rallying cry of various movements, but as things get more and more connected as, as certain minority groups or oppressed or underserved groups get more and more connected, they also come into conflict with each other. And I, I do think that moving forward, there has to be some sort of way to parse out like, can y'all take the back seat for just a second? Like keep eating your frosted mini wheats and let us gain some sort of workers' rights in this example. So I just 
um, I just looked up the uh, the tweet <laughs> that you were referring to, and somebody says, I-, "I would think frosted mini wheats would be the worst for someone with food sensory issues, unless they only eat them <laughs> within five minutes of pouring milk into the bowl, because they get real soggy real fast." if you eat them immediately, they like cut up your mouth. Like, I don't know. That's true. Like, I yeah, don't what know at do? what point, maybe they do like them soggy. I don't know. Yeah. But if they're soggy, you could eat anything. Anything could be soggy. If you just leave in the milk long enough. I think you're being ableist again. <laughs> All right. Well, I think they're being full of shit, but you know, whatever. <laughs> oh, anyway, do you agree that this is one of the stupider debates that have happened? <laughs> yeah, this year? yeah, for sure. For sure. Okay. <laughs> and, um, it leads very nicely into my first stupid debate which um, bringing up our favorite person on the channel, Jeff Bezos, um, that guy, <laughs> his rocket ship, him blasting off into space has to be one of the top, uh, the top dumb debates of 2021. I just read that the amount of greenhouse gases that were created by his trip were more than 1 billion people would create in their entire lifetime. No way. <laughs> I don't know if that statistic is actually true, but Maybe like the bottom 1 billion people of producers. I don't know, but it's like the, one of the least environmentally sensitive things he's done. And he's done a lot of environmentally insensitive things. And it's just a huge, it was him. I think Richard Branson, uh, William Shatner went up and, and touched space for a second. I think Richard Branson did something in his own company. Right, but they're all like racing to get into space. Oh and it well, was, yeah, the the billionaire was, space race for like low Earth orbit or low atmosphere mm-hmm. orbit. You're like barely in zero G's up there. <laughs> it was just such a metaphorical. My dick is bigger than your dick, and then literal considering the shape of the spaceships, <laughs> it was just too perfect. And I mean just a complete lack of self-awareness on the optics of this situation. I guess at that point, you don't care. You just be like, I'm in space. It's going to make everybody that already hates me, hate me a little bit more, but none of them have been to space. So fuck them. This more stupid or less stupid than when Elon Musk sent a Tesla into space. Um, Equally stupid. Yeah. That wasn't actually manned. It had a fake astronaut in the driver's seat. Mm. I should have put a, a chimpanzee or something. No, that's awful. <laughs> I just you know that most of the animals that they sent into space during like the experimental phase of like the American and Russian, um, you know, government space exploration. Most of those animals died in space, but they died in space. They were going to die anyway. Did they, they have to die to... eventually? Oh, that's they so did hard. have to die. Everybody has to die eventually. But not like that. Like, I wonder if I wonder I wonder if like a chimpanzee. So you know, like at a chimpanzee's level of intelligence, I wonder if they can like comprehend what's going on. <laughs> like looking back down at Earth, like oh, there's my house. I see my house there. They don't <laughs> like, have houses. <laughs> no, but I wonder what level of comprehension they have over what's going on. Like I'm not supposed to be here. <laughs> I don't know, but it's just the idea of like they are in a strange place, experiencing strange, strange sensations, because they're probably not in any gravity. Mm. And then they're also potentially exposed to like 
intense heat or intense cold, I'm, I'm going to start crying. Like that's <laughs> like the, the poor animals. It's not, no, I, how dare you for even suggesting right, that right. the Tesla should have had a chimp in it. <laughs> all right. Well, we can get back to happier things like hating, <laughs> hating billionaires. Yeah. If that's not evidence enough that they have too much money, like, I don't know mm. what is. <laughs> mm. All right. So what is your next funny slash stupid debate of 2021? Are you aware of Bean Dad? No. You don't know who Bean Dad is? <laughs> no. Oh my God. So Bean Dad is John Roderick, who's a musician based in Seattle. He has a daughter who was nine at the time who wanted to open a can of baked beans, but she couldn't figure out how to use the can opener. And he has this whole Twitter thread about it recognizing that it is his fault that he didn't teach her how to use a can opener. So mm-hmm. instead of showing her how to open a can of beans, he's like, you figure it out. Like, look at the mechanics of it. How do you think it works? Try, keep trying. I can't show you that would be giving in blah, blah, blah. Over six hours later. <laughs> is he like, doc- so he's like documenting this attempt. Um, he's like telling it after the fact. Mm. But essentially he withheld food from his minor child mm-hmm. to teach her how to use a can opener by making her try to figure out how to use a can opener rather than just showing her. <laughs> so everyone's like, well, this is clearly child abuse, right? Well, the question is, did she have frosted mini wheats available? I don't, I don't know. I feel Oof. like that's an ableist question. Josh. <laughs> um, so she eventually figures it out and she eventually gets to eat. It was a whole thing. Speaking of YouTube and uh, Twitter and Instagram and the interwebs, my second dumb debate of 2021 is Facebook changing their name to Meta. I don't even know what it means. I don't know what they're thinking. I don't know why it's necessary. I refuse to do it. I think it's dumb. Yeah, I guess it's dumb because they announced this change and Facebook is still like it's actually still Facebook. So I don't really know what substantially has changed about it. It's kind of like the the Philip Morris name change. I think it's like Google where it's owned by Alphabet. So I think Alphabet, I think Meta is going to be the umbrella company around Facebook and Instagram, et cetera. Yeah. But I think, you know, here's what I, uh, Facebook besides boomers, and despite the fact that we have a, a page on it is sort of losing relevancy. And I think that this attempted rebranding and sort of prediction that Facebook is making that the metaverse is going to be the next place that everybody interacts. And that's how they're going to define themselves and bring themselves back to being relevant again is, I don't know, they get paid a lot more than I do to guess this sort of stuff, but seems to me like they're missing the mark. Are we just going to make fun of a lot of like billionaires today? I'm, I'm <laughs> kind of for it. They're, 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 I guess that's where my fun controversies come in. Yeah. I don't know. They, they put themselves at the center of uh, attention. Like who, who launches a rocket ship up into space if they don't want people to see it and talk about it? True. Yeah. I guess I agree that the whole meta rebrand is stupid, but I, I, I don't know how. Okay. Who's it going to, who does it hit? So. Facebook is relying on boomers, right? They're all over Facebook. They they love to rate their local donut shop and complain about the interior decorator that, you know, showed up 20 minutes late, whatever. And I feel like, but they don't, they're not going to understand the metaverse. 
right? There's no way they're going to engage in that. And then millennials, I think, you know, you and I probably have similar opinions. Like this is dumb. We're kind of over Facebook already because of the boomers. And then the younger generation, maybe they're the ones that Facebook is banking on. Maybe I'm just not in touch with them. Maybe. Like what, who, who does Facebook think is going to engage in this new metaverse that they want to push and rebrand themselves around? I guess we'll have to see how this is going to play out. This could be one of the things we talked about in our predictions. Hmm. We'll have to see how this plays out in 2022 hmm. and beyond. But I, I think that like, no matter what happens, I think we'll be stuck calling it Facebook. That name change won't stick because I don't know about you, but I've been using Facebook for like a really long time now. So that's just what it is to me. Meta is not even a meta, meta Facebook. Meta, meta seems too short to be a name for something. It just seems like a conjoining word. Like Facebook is meta. Uh, that's clever. Facebook is meta, but Facebook is not meta. Uh? All right. So we have talked about a significant number of important debates that happened in 2021. We've talked about a significant number of stupid debates that have happened in 2021 many of which have implications for 2022 and beyond. So let's move into the last section where we look forward into the new year of 2021 and make some predictions about what we think might be in store for us in the upcoming year. Kelly, do you want to start with any predictions or hot takes that you might have for 2022? Yeah, I don't think any of my predictions are hot takes really because I think that they're all like pretty like predictable by people other than just me. Mm. So, I'm probably not being very brave right now, but um <laughs> I think the first thing that I that I'm expecting for next year is that we're going to really see a lot of activity towards whichever GOP candidate will be selected for 2024 for the general election. So, I think the big question mark on that is whether or not people want Trump to run. I think a lot of people do want Trump to run, but will he, will he be the candidate? Mm. And if I had to predict one way or the other, I, I'm going to, I'm going to, I think this might be controversial. I'm going to say, I think that he has a very good shot at being the candidate. Okay. Okay. So Kelly on record for saying two things, one that Trump's going to run again and Mm -hmm. two that he will quite possibly be the candidate. Is that fair? Yeah, I, I say right. that the, I say that um, I feel pretty confident that that's a very possible outcome. I agree on the first one, depending on the outcome of various litigation, potentially. I do not agree on the second half of that. Um, I think that what got Trump the nomination in the first time was all of the quote unquote legitimate Republican candidates splitting the vote. And him being the sort of wild card that consolidated individuals further right of a certain point, and just an unwillingness of of all of the traditional candidates to drop out um, until after he'd already won. I don't think that same scenario exists this time around for two reasons. One, I just I think at this point people would drop out to avoid that happening again. And two, I also think there would be other Trumps who he would have to split the vote with in a way that there were not, uh, what, six years ago? 
Mm. So I, I, I think the political landscape looks different enough that he would not be the nominee, not that he wouldn't get a significant amount of support. I think that much is obvious. My hot take on this would be, I think that the two main options in a primary election for Republicans would be one, Trump, and two, Mike Pence. I think oh. we would I think we would see him running against his former vice president. Oh man. Oh man. They I don't think Mike Pence would live through that. I think they would like I think they would kill him. I think that Mike Pence is the most electable Republican out there right now because he garners depending on how much damage Trump might do to him in a primary, he garners the support of that community the farther more conservative individuals out there while at the same time placating moderates on on both sides i think there's a lot of democrats in the middle who would just be like yeah he's, he's fine i don't like don't... that i don't like that to the degree that my heart like started pounding in my ears like ugh, i don't like any like possible <laughs> candidates for president on the gop side of things but like those guys are so especially bad. <laughs> like, <laughs> so I, I, I think, and I was saying this during the last election, we didn't have the podcast going to the time, so it's not on record, but I think that had Trump not run against Biden and Pence had run against Biden instead, it would have been a landslide. Pence would have annihilated Biden. Well, we might get a chance to see if that's the case next year. All right. Well, let me move to my prediction here. All right. And tell you that I don't think that is going to be the case because this is not necessarily a prediction for 2022. So I'm going to kind of cheat a little bit here, but um, I do not think that Joe Biden will still be president by the time we have our next election in 2024. Do you think he'll die or do you think he'll be impeached? Like what, what do you no, think? No, 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 no. I, I think it'll be health issues. I think oh. that I think that, and this is not, this is not meant to be, I'm pretty open about my criticism of him. This is not necessarily meant to be a criticism of him so much as like a system that would elect somebody of his age and health condition. Yeah. Like, you know, we can elect people that are 40 and 50, not, not on the verge of anyway. I, I think without, without it meant to be derogatory, I think that he has some fairly clear onsets of cognitive issues. And I think that those will manifest themselves. They can come out of nowhere. They can man he's almost 80 years old. These sorts of things manifest themselves so quickly, literally overnight. And I don't think I would not be surprised if he was not president at the end of 2022 hmm. for these issues. And I am certainly willing to go on record and say that I don't think he'll make it uh, through the end of this first term. Okay. So to summarize, you don't think. Joe Biden is actually going to fully serve his entire term as president. Correct. I think that it's probable that he will, but I think this is the only term he'll serve. Mm. So then not only do we have the question of who would be running on the Republican side, mm -hmm. we would then have the question who would be running on the Democratic side. Again, this is not 2022. So we wouldn't have to decide that yet. But in 2020, I mean, they're going to they would be starting. Well, the Democrat wouldn't be starting unless Biden was gone in 2022 or, well, or that, or that decision was announced in 2022. I think there are rumblings already about people thinking, mm, I don't think this guy's going to do another term and thinking about who they would want to primary. Mm. 
Uh, okay, that's fair, potentially. So who, I don't, do you think it's Harris? I don't think they could no, run as, as president. No, no, mm. no. I think it's probably going to be someone like, well, people are going to throw their hats in the ring. He probably shouldn't. So maybe like Beto O'Rourke or a few other people. I think Warren would be a, would be a reasonable option. Mm. I think she'd do a good job. I'm just, I'm just salty about how she played out this last election cycle. And I think she engaged in the kind of party politics that she complains about. What if Bernie? (laughs) Uh, Bernie's got the same. I I'm a, I'm a Bernie fan. Oh yeah. I'll, I'll throw that out there, but I cannot criticize other people for their age and then be like, let's, let's vote Bernie into office. I mean, but he hasn't shown the same. I mean, we haven't seen him as prominently as we've seen Biden over the last year, but I don't think that he's exhibiting the same sort of cognitive issues. At that point, things just happen overnight. It doesn't have to be cognitive issues. You could, yeah. you know, it's 70 years old. This sucks, but this is the reality of the situation. You could have a stroke tomorrow, right? You could have a heart attack now. Well, and- we could all be getting a car accident tomorrow too. Well, but at least that's something that, that's something you could be protected by, by secret service, heart attacks, real hard to avoid or strokes, real hard to avoid secret service in your body. That came out wrong. That, yeah, it did. <laughs> um, that's like a Rick and Morty episode right there. <laughs> All right. Back to Kelly. What do you got for us? 2022. Oh, I, I'm feeling already exhausted by the, by the specter of politics in America next year. I don't think the pandemic is going to end next year. Mm, okay. I've got a, I've got a prediction on this too. So let's hear, I agree with you that it's not going to end. Let's hear I, where you go with this. I feel like I already kind of anticipated that before Omicron, Omicron, Om- Omegaticon mm-hmm. came out. Um, I just feel like there's been such an inconsistent amount of messaging. It's like, don't do anything social. Don't leave your house, except go to work. Like obviously go to work. Mm-hmm. So the government does not seem to be taking it seriously enough other than like some rhetoric around don't spread the virus and not like doing enough for public health measures to actually prevent the spread of the virus. So in America, at least the pandemic is not going to end next year. Okay. So I agree with that. But my prediction that I wrote down Hmm. for 2022 about COVID was not that it will go away, but that it will become a null issue, meaning that everybody is so over it. It's just been around and this mixed messaging and we have to wear a mask this and we have to quarantine this. The population, at least in the United States, has gotten so desensitized to the justification for all of those measures, people going to the hospital, infection rates, deaths, that it just doesn't affect us anymore. And and we as a people, as a population, are really bad about inconveniencing ourselves unless we are made to see exactly how serious something is. And at this level of desensitization, I just don't think we'll care anymore. Yeah. And then a lot of people, even if that's not the case, a lot of people think this is going to be like a flu where we just have to get boosters annually and it's just going to be around forever. I think people, some people will get boosters every year. The people who have already done it will continue to do it. The people who haven't will not. Some people will continue to wear masks if they're told that they have to. They've just gotten used to it. But I don't think that anybody beyond that will alter their behavior in any way, avoiding family, avoiding going out, et cetera. I think there's just COVID fatigue. So I I think COVID's going to turn into a couple of the issues on your first list 
like gun control and like climate change where people will be like, yeah, another school shooting or another spike in COVID. Are we going to do anything about it? Not really. That's just how things are. I think that's going to be COVID in 2022. That's just how things are. Starting to dawn on me. I don't think we have any happy predictions. Um, no, I just have one more and it's neutral. Does that help you? Maybe. What is it? So my last prediction is, and uh, this might be kind of cheating. The first half might be cheating. The second half, maybe not. My first half of the prediction is that Amazon is going to come out with a cryptocurrency, hmm. which um, not a not a crazy prediction. Uh, I think it's already in the works. There's been some rumblings of it. Uh, my second prediction, though, would be it becomes by far the dominant cryptocurrency out there. Really over Bitcoin. Yeah, absolutely. So I think that what cryptocurrencies in general need that they have failed to have thus far is legitimacy. And legitimacy comes from, I have this thing that's supposed to be worth something, but if it's worth something, why the hell can't I spend it on anything outside of this weird black cyber market, right? And Amazon brings with it literally the largest marketplace on the planet um, Mm. in which presumably you would be able to spend your Amazon cryptocurrency on Amazon. And I think that that gives it a power that no other cryptocurrency has. Everything I've learned about crypto, I've learned against my will. (laughs) So, yeah, so that's my prediction for 2022. Amazon cryptocurrency going to take over, fund a return to space. I wonder if that is neutral. I wonder if it actually might be negative. I think that crypto, I think it's inevitable. I think that it's going to get to a point where the way everything's becoming digitized and, you know, we've already gone so far away from like physical currency, even before crypto became more centered in this discussion. Yeah, I think that's probably how it's going to turn out. But I don't know if it's the way that the the prices fluctuate so much. Um, and maybe like what you're talking about would stabilize it more, but I I don't right. know. It seems like it might be um a really negative thing to have something that volatile as a form of currency. I don't know. Mm. Yeah, I'm not I'm not willing to make in my prediction what the relationship between traditional currency and cryptocurrency, if that cryptocurrency is Amazon's would look like. Um, I'm just, I'm predicting that the dominant cryptocurrency is going to be Amazon's and, um, you know, not, not saying people are going to shift to it from the dollar or whatever, but possibly if here's what I will say, if any cryptocurrency has a chance of that happening, it would be this one. That's my prediction. I guess we'll, we'll find out. We will find out that and more in the following year. And if any of those things happen or don't, you can find out about it here with me and Kelly on Indubitably. In all sincerity, uh, we're actually really appreciative that we have people listening to this little project of ours and Mm -hmm. um, that we have the opportunity to talk to each other and at all of you about things that we consider to be important issues. So thanks for helping us start this uh, podcast off right in 2021. And we'll just see if uh, 2022 makes it even bigger and better. Absolutely. Um, And as we end most episodes, but maybe with this being the end of 2021, even more so than normal. Thank you so much for listening and take care.
See you next year. 